Love is a frequent topic of discussion, but way too often it is misinterpreted, it is misused, and too frequently to justify our personal feelings. I want to make sure we know what it means to love. I want to make sure we understand the word love. And if we're going to do that, there's a place that we must start. Welcome to Fathering Our Future. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I have something so special for you throughout the month of February. You get something wonderful today, but you've got great things coming throughout this entire month because we're doing a small little series where we are focusing on love. L-O-V-E. You know what I'm talking about. And yes, maybe Valentine's Day was some of the inspiration behind this. But what you are going to get this month is so good. And it is so needed in our generation that we really understand love and what it looks like and what it means for us to love. So we're taking a biblical approach to this. We're going to start first with what it means to love God, then what it means for us to love ourselves, and from ourselves, love should be dispersed to others. So we're going to focus on our wife and on our children, and I have some experts and some great people to talk about each of these topics. And let me tell you, what you're about to hear today transformed my life. I have approached every day with a different mentality. I have approached things that I have complained about in the past with optimism and a smile because I have this corrective that is now in place. I am joined today by my friend and fabulous conversational partner, Pastor Steve Schobert. And he is talking to us about what it means for us to really love God. Now, I just want to go ahead and caution you. You might be thinking, I'm a believer. I've been a disciple for a long time. I know what it means to love God. I tell God that I love him all the time. I'm going to go ahead and tell you to stop thinking that. I wish I could give you a money-back guarantee on today's episode, but you're not paying anything. And even if you did, that's supposed to be a gift, so I wouldn't give it back. It just wouldn't wouldn't feel right. But if I could give a money-back guarantee on the episode you're about to listen to, the conversation that you're about to hear, I would. If you listen to it and you think, I got nothing out of that, then you didn't listen to it. You need to go back and listen to it again because... Steve really helps us see something that's just been right in front of our face. At least it's been right in front of my face for the longest time, but I've just never put it into my mind. I've never been able to wrap my head around it. And he so beautifully articulates the scriptures and he helps us understand what it really means for us to love God. If you want to be a part of helping dads grow as disciple makers and making them aware of fathering our future, you can help. And here is what I want you to do. I want you to leave a five-star rating for this podcast and write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'll take a screenshot of that and send it to me at fatheringourfuture at gmail.com, I have a gift for you. I wrote a book called Cut the Crap, Direct Tips for Becoming a Dad. I cannot send you the physical copy, but I will send you the electronic copy of this book. And technically, you'll get a little bit more because the ebook has additional references that are linked all throughout it. So this is my gift for you for rating and reviewing this podcast. Again, send that to me at fatheringourfuture at gmail.com. And by doing that, you're helping create awareness of this podcast and ultimately you're helping dads grow as disciple makers. Our focus scripture for this week comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 7. Here's how it reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down 
and when you get up. This is what we're focusing on today. Get ready. Well, Pastor Steve Schobert, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast for the first time. Thank you very much. It is a true pleasure of mine. Um, just for everyone listening and watching, this is the man that I am always fond of having lunch with. So much of my belief system and the way that I have been shaped has been influenced um, by you, by what you have shared typically over a meal. We have microphones today, no food, unfortunately, but you got a little coffee, so you're ready to go. <laughs> um, but I say all of that to talk you up so that there's absolutely no pressure of you delivering anything of value on this podcast episode today. And yeah, and there you have it. So um, we're talking about a subject that I think a lot of people uh, might kind of glaze over. Okay. It may be one of those things that we don't put a whole lot of thought into because we just think we know what it means. And we're talking about what it really means to love God and how we biblically go about that. So I think for many people, if they hear a sermon at church and they talk about, yeah, we're supposed to be in love with Jesus. Okay. But there's no mental process or thought that goes into that. It's just, I love Jesus. End of statement. And that's all that pretty much goes into it sometimes. Now, Typically, we'll live a life that is indicative of that love of Jesus, but I want to see if we can maybe get a, a biblical perspective on what it is to love God, how we should go about that. Mm -hmm. So as we talked a little bit earlier, I told you that my focus scripture for this week on the podcast was going to be the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Now, we're looking only at verses 4 through 7, but there's clearly much there. And it tells us that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. Now, we can start there if you want, because you're the scholar, not myself, or we can go somewhere of your choice. But I just want to lay a little bit of a groundwork before the conversation heads more your way on what it looks like for us to love God. So you can take it away. So I think Deuteronomy 6 is a great place to start. Okay. And uh, where I think I will um, begin is Jesus's use of Deuteronomy 6. Okay. So it's Mark 12. So one day a scribe came to Jesus and posed the question, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, it's an honest question. Uh, that stemmed from an honest debate that went on in rabbinical circles. And that is, is how do you rank order the commandments? So Torah has 613 commandments in them. Many of those commandments can apply to any particular situation. The commandments are clear, but which ones apply or which ones take precedent in any particular situation is the matter of debate. So if two commandments came to play, on a particular question, you had to then say, well, which one takes precedent over it? Gotcha. And if one commandment takes precedent over another, then it implies a hierarchy. And if there are a hierarchy of commandments, then there must be one that sits at the top of the stack. So what is the greatest commandment? What is the first and is the greatest commandment? And so there were many opinions about that. Jesus was a powerful teacher, spoke with an authority, unlike anything they'd ever heard before. So the question was posed, Master, what is the, when they saw that Jesus answered the questions well, he posed the question, what is the greatest commandment? Hmm. And most people, when they quote Jesus's response to the scribe, they say the greatest commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, if you read the text, Jesus quotes the Shema. He says, the greatest commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Mm. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. In the, in the Shema, it's, it's, soul, it, it's heart, soul, and strength. Um, with everything that you have with all that you are and the that should all be devoted to the one God. So loving God starts with placing him in the spot that only he can mm. 
uh, reside in. Loving God means living, recognizing and living in such a way that there is only one who is worthy of all of our heart's affection, all of our mind and uh, life's devotion. So loving God begins there. It begins by saying, there is just one God. Mm. Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. He alone resides in the center, at the spot that is worthy of all of my heart's devotion, my heart's affection and my life's devotion. So often when we talk about love in our context, we're we're focused on the on the the emotive on the emotional aspect of love love is a sentiment it is a thing that you feel it's a way that you emote um biblically it's much less that hmm. love is behavioral okay it is what you do uh that may accompany uh, emotions may accompany that but the emotions are not required <laughs> for you to act in loving ways. See. So loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So with everything that you have. So, so we, are, um, we are emotional creatures and our affection is to be centered on the Lord that's loving with all of our heart. We are intellectual creatures. So we love him with our mind, but love him with your strength. Well, what does that mean? Uh, does, does it mean, you know, go to the gym and I love Jesus as I yeah. pump iron? <laughs> Ten reps know, of Jesus. You know, what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, you strength, that's behavioral. Mm. That's behavioral. So to, to take your energy and devote it in behaviors that demonstrate you hold him in the singular God place. Mm. So... We we figured out you know how to how to feel, and and we work on how to think, but our love is demonstrated in how we behave. It's behavioral. I see. Torah is very interested in what you do. Yeah, what you do. Um, you can your emotions could be all over the map, but faithfulness is determined in how you behave, what you do. And so um, that's the first commandment in terms of priority, rank order. It's also the beginning of the commandments. Yeah. <laughs> so the very beginning of the Ten Commandments is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Mm. This is the first uh, of the commandment, which then paves the way for all of the other commandments. So when Jesus answered the question, what's the first and the greatest commandment? It is the first in terms of its order. It's the first one out of which all of the others flow. Yeah. Uh, and it is the greatest, the most right. important, because without this, none of the others make any sense. They, so it's the foundational commandment. It's the starting point. This is where it's the most important. And it's the first thing that you must do. Yeah. So the origin of all of our love expressed toward God and then towards others uh, begins with a recognition of who he is, that there's just one God. Yeah. There's only one that sits in that spot. And I will demonstrate that in my behaviors. I will behave in such a way that it demonstrates that I recognize that there's only one God. I see. That he is our God and he is God alone. Uh, and so I think biblically loving the Lord starts there. Sure. It starts there. It starts with ordering our lives in such a way that he is at the center, that he is the one that is receiving our heart's devotion, uh, our affection, our energy, our strength, our behaviors are, are living that out. So um, this is also uh, the most challenging thing. <laughs> Because there's a lot of things out there that vie for our affection, sure. our attention, and our energy. And a lot of things that we tend to value, saying they're worth our affection and our energy and our devotion. And people live for all kinds of things yep. being at the center. If it is anything other than God, 
it's off balance. Mm. And it's and it's going everything that we do is going to flow out of that center of our devotion. So if if something else is is the first, <laughs> if something else is at the center, if something else is the object of my affection and devotion, then the love that I express towards anything down line is going to be tinted and tainted I by see. what is defining it at the center. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So we can't fully, or we can't, let's say, from a biblical perspective, correctly love other people because we're not truly loving ourselves the right way because we've not loved God the right way because we haven't put God first. Put first. We haven't put him at the center. So so what are the things that I, that, that compete for this spot at the center? Uh, well, well, there's a lot of things uh, that, that vie for that. I would suggest that the number one uh, culprit in competing for the God spot in our lives is self. Yeah. Itself. It's ordering my world around me where I'm at the center and I've ordered all of the people and all of the events according to how well they please me or support my throne at the center of my own life. Well, so it, so hero is well, the Lord, our God is one. <laughs> there can only be one yep. and you shall love him with yep. all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So he's got to be the center. If I dethrone him and place myself as a pretender on the throne at the center of my own life, that is going to taint, that's going to distort how I value myself. I'm overvaluing myself. I've made myself the God at the center. And it's going to taint and distort how I value you because I will value you based on your ability to please <laughs> Yeah. Me, <laughs> right? Uh, not based on who you are to him. Mm. So, but if God's at the center, if God's at the center, then then you are not facing me. You are shoulder to shoulder with me, and we are both adoring the one who is wow. at the center. We're both worshiping the one at the center. So, so now my relationship with you, the way I'm able to love you is not distorted by my own self-interest, but it's informed by our mutual adoration mm. of the one who is at the center. I see. So I can't love you properly if something other than God is at the center. Yeah. It will be affected by whatever I put at the center. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful imagery that you painted. Having God on the throne... Has you off the throne. Off the throne. But has you facing the throne. Yep. But when I look to you, right. I see you as someone facing, facing the, throne, the throne just as I am. Just as you are. Exactly. And that, yeah. <laughs> that is so, yeah. so good. Yeah. That, that bridges the gap a little bit, at least for me, in the, then you love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Because you're both That's people. Right. That's looking right. at the throne. Exactly. That's really exactly. This is why I like lunch with this man right here. <laughs> That's so, very good. So that image versus how that is often understood, like um, you, the terrible uh, Whitney Houston song said, uh, the the not that it was sung terribly, but the message right. is terrible. Yes, that says that the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Okay. Uh, sometimes we'll just adopt that uncritically sure. and imagine like, I can't love you properly until I learn to love myself. Mm. Um, maybe not so much. Maybe I can't learn to love you properly until I see myself as one around the periphery, right. adoring the one who is on the throne. Yeah. So, so the commandments, they flow this way. So, so Jesus's corollary to the scribe was, you know, the first and greatest commandment is, Hero is with the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first commandment. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and I'll give you number two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.22. Yep. Um, not love your neighbor, uh, you know, love yourself so that you can then love your neighbor. Love God 
then you will see your neighbor, you'll value your neighbor as you value yourself. Mm. So your assessment of yourself is not based on your adoration of yourself. Your assessment of your own self-worth and self-value is in reflection to the one that you are worshiping on the throne. Wow. So just as you stated it, as I'm going to value you properly as one who is worshiping the only one who is on the throne. When I see myself properly as one who is not on the throne, mm-hmm. but one who is facing the throne. Yeah. So this is the this is the, this is John's image in Revelation four and five. He saw a throne. He saw one who was sitting on the throne, and then he sees all of creation gathered in concentric circles around the throne. It starts with the double twelve, the yep. people of God. Then it's it's the angelic host. It's the people of God. It's all of creation, and it's a great multitude that can't be numbered. Um, they are in concentric circles, all facing the one on the throne. And creation has its song, You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. And the redeemed have their song. It says, For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they were created. Mm. But they're all worshiping the one at the center. So how do we love the Lord? Well, you place him at the center. Yeah. And that is the continual work of discipleship because everything's vying for the throne. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> everything's vying for the throne. And the worst culprit is me. <laughs> uh, and I continually um, imagine that maybe I should <laughs> be the one at the center. Sure. And I'm valuing the things in my life for what they're doing for me, how they're pleasing me, how they're helping me accomplish my vision, my goals, my dreams. That's all me. That's me at the center. And it is, it's off balance. And a life lived that way is loving me more than it is loving the one who should be the center of our heart's devotion. Yeah. Uh, our affection, our energy, our strength, our behavioral, loving loving him uh, by living in such a way that it demonstrates he's number one. Mm. I'm going to toss you a curveball. Okay. So we talked about <clears throat> neighbors, yep. loving your neighbor as yourself. Yep. Now, I do know in the story of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus talks about who is your neighbor, he goes off and he says, someone who you might not necessarily view as your brother Jesus takes this a step further, though, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about how we treat enemies, yep. people who yep. I would assume are not facing the throne. Yep. How does that work? Is it, is it is the imagery there maybe that, well, they're not on the throne, they're also around it? Mm-hmm. Or is it just tied into Jesus gives the analogy of uh, lending money to someone? And it being a gift from you and you not expecting it back because he uses the expression of even evil men will give money to someone if they know they're going to give it back. If you do that, what sets you apart? You give it and it's a gift. And even if you know, you won't get it back. So can you maybe bring imagery onto Jesus's expansion of the neighbor talk? Yeah. Yeah. So um, with Sermon on the Mount, and it's it's about reflecting the character of God. Uh, within the kingdom. And what it doesn't mean is you should have warm feelings towards the people who persecute you and despitefully use you. Uh, you should, you should, you were just like, man, I just love that guy. You know? um, that's, that's not what that means. Uh, it's to love behaviorally. So it's to act in loving ways toward them. Mm-hmm. And to do that is not natural. That's not our natural instinct. Uh, But Jesus is saying, um, number one, if you do that, you'll reflect the nature of your father who makes it rain on the just and on the unjust. Sidebar. Sidebar. Here's here's how, how we impose our... 21st century Western understanding of metaphors back back (laughs) on the text. Most people quote that he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. 
saying bad things happen to good right. people and bad people. Right. The rain is not a bad thing. Right. The rain is a good thing. <laughs> right. So if you live in a, a desert climate, you love the rain. Right. Uh, and where does the rain come from? Well, it comes from your your Father in heaven, who pours out blessings upon both the just and the unjust. Right. So just as he acts in loving ways to those who we might say deserve it, but he equally acts in loving ways towards those who we would say do not deserve it, he's calling us to reflect the same thing. Mm. So act in loving ways towards your enemy, towards those that persecute you. If you do so, you will reflect your father's nature. He does the same sort of thing. So then Jesus gives a very practical example of that. A practical example of it is, hey, if a Roman soldier comes along and compels you to carry his backpack for a mile, do that because you have to. (laughs) But then act in a loving way. Offer to carry it a second mile. And when you do, you'll overturn the power structure Mm. because now you're not doing something because you have to. You're not doing something um, that you necessarily just woke up that morning and said, you know, I think I'd like to take two (laughs) miles out of my journey today, carry somebody else's backpack. But you are doing a generous act of love towards someone and you have completely disarmed them in the process because mm. how do you act towards somebody who unnaturally does something that is loving who acts in a towards you whether they may feel it or not like you may not like that soldier and i'm not telling you you have to have unnatural emotions towards that. sure but what i'm telling you is you can choose to behave in loving ways mm. in spite of what it is that you may be feeling in spite of what might be your natural reaction And if you do so, you will, number one, reflect your father in heaven because he also acts in loving ways towards uh, the unjust. Uh, But you'll be surprised at how you just change the power dynamic. Yeah. uh, Because because love wins. Right. That's interesting. Does that um, I'm not going to go down a theological road with you, even though I really like to all the time. But does that tie into commandments that come? Thereafter, where he says, you're not going to make any graven images for me because my understanding is part of the reason that we don't do that is because we were made in the image. We are the image bearers of God. And so we then go out as the image in a sense and reflect God's nature and goodness. Right. All right. That's that's all I need. I just need that little connection and we're good. Um, Now, I do think that this is incredibly interesting, though, because... For me, it changes the way that I think about this almost entirely. If we're talking more so about our behaviors and the things that we do. So now we're not dealing with, I feel good. Right. I'm going to bless this person. Right. Or, I mean, we're really starting to embody Jesus' sermon on the Mount of someone slapped you in the face. You turn the other cheek. Someone takes your stuff away. You don't ask for it back. Someone says, can they have this? And you offer them something extra instead. Right. Having that behavior yep. without the emotional tied to it. Right. I feel like that is a challenge. It that is, is a challenge. A challenge. Uh, but see, this is volitional. This is, I am making the decision to behave in this way, though it is unnatural. I'm not inclined to do this. I don't necessarily want to do this. I don't have the accompanying emotions to empower this, but I'm going to choose to do this because it reflects the nature of God and it demonstrates that he's on the throne Mm -hmm. and I am not. Wow. And when I do that, now that's an act of worship. That's an act of worship. That is a volitional, it's a, it's a, it's a choice that I, it's an informed theological choice that I'm going to act out. I'm going to live this out. I'm going to act this out. And in doing so, I have demonstrated that I value the king. I value the kingdom. I take seriously my role as the image of God. And I'm going to reflect that in my world, not because that's easy, 
but because it's hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in doing so, I give everyone a reason to glorify my father, which is in heaven. Right. So who is served? Who is served by me doing a loving act towards someone who doesn't deserve it? Who is served? Well, I'm not served. Yep. Uh, Who is served? Well, God is served. When people see that, they have a reason then to glorify your father, Mm. which is in heaven. Um, So what does it mean to love God? It means to live in such a way. And sometimes that's volitional. Yep. (laughs) It's conscious decisions to behave in such a way that will reflect his nature. Give people a reason to say, you know what? I think there is a God. There must be a God. Right. Because... That's not human. <laughs> uh, there yeah. must be a God, but choosing to live in this way. Now, this is love. Yeah, this is love. This is love. And so I think I think this also then spills over into the other objects of our love. So, um, how do I love my wife? Um, well, it's easy to do things when they're empowered by an emotion that makes that response natural. Sure. But to paraphrase Jesus, the Gentiles do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the pagans do that. Right. But how about Mm -hmm. acting? How about choosing to act in loving ways when it's not natural, when there's not an accompanying emotion to empower it, when it requires an act of will and it requires a conscious choice to do so, not for my benefit, but for her benefit and to, as an act of worship unto the only one who's at the center, who gets to define all of that. Yeah. Well, so with the, with the, with the marriage setup, kind of taking on that, that, that approach in which, you know, God ultimately takes with us, but, you know, the man being head of the woman, but the man then being instructed to love and serve the wife as Christ loved and served the church, even though maybe they're the lesser, right? You take their place in a sense, or you come down to where they are and you serve the lesser. And that I, I, I love the point that you made and tying everything back around to, we do this in a way because it glorifies God. And what that does is it gets other people to see the throne. It takes the enemy who's, faced away right. and, they, and they take the peak right. and they say, yeah. there is a God. There must be a God. There must be a God. Yeah. He's on the throne. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. wow, that's, that's remarkable. I'm going to be soaking this in for a while. Um, okay. So. So let me just interrupt you here. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so um, the commandment to, to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So we can hear that. And because when we hear the word love, the first thing we think of is an emotion. Mm -hmm. We can imagine that that text is saying, feel tenderly or affectionately toward your wife. That's true, but that's not where the real meat of it is. I see. Uh, Love is volitional and it's behavioral. Yeah. So it is act in loving ways toward your wife, just as Christ acted in loving ways toward the church and still does and gave himself for her. Well, that giving of himself is in Calvary and there wasn't the emotional energy to make that easy. In fact, he prayed yeah. in the garden. I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> if there's any other way, you know, let this pass from me. But he willingly submitted his own self-interest for the benefit of the world that he was redeeming, gave himself in that way. And Paul says, let that be the model. Yeah. Let that be the model. So, so all other ways in which we love family, kids, neighbors, strangers, mm-hmm. um, which is, there, there's more commandment to love the stranger. The neighbor is the stranger. Yeah. It's, it's not the dude that's like you. Right. It's the one who's not like you. Right. It's the stranger, uh, the foreigner, 
uh, the disenfranchised, those on the fringe, those who cannot give back. Yeah. Uh, it's all the ways in which we love have to be informed by our love for God, our devotion to him by recognizing living in such a way that uh, he's the one uh, who is at the center and is the object of our heart's affection, our life's devotion. Mm. Now, now then when I love my wife, I'm loving her as an act of worship as well. Yeah. I'm loving her sometimes when the affections accompany it and energy and sure. energize it. And that's easy and that's natural. Yeah. But I am choosing to act in loving ways when the emotions are not there. Yeah. And when it's not easy. And maybe the emotions are actually going the other way. But I'm choosing as, a, as an outgrowth of my love for God right. to then love her the way that he loves. Sure which is volitionally right. and it's behaviorally and it's in her self-interest, not in my ours. Yep. I was, I wanted to point that out that there's no contingencies around this. It is not, you know, if everything is hunky dory, great, then you're doing a good job. But if everything is horrible and you're in the midst of frustration and argument, the call is to pull it together, keep it tucked in, but still mm -hmm. act in right. loving ways. I think very similar to what Christ modeled for us, that while we were still sinners, right. he died for us. He he yeah. acted in love, in love, even though we thought nothing of him or the love that he gave. Right. He did it anyway. Right. And I, I think it's beautiful seeing the imagery and then seeing the Shema at the heart of it, that it all begins with, you know who God is, and you know that he is the one on the throne. And then from there, everything stems and branches out. I, I, I think that's good. See, this is why I had you on the podcast. See, because I, I would have skipped over that part. <laughs> and I would have just talked about what it meant to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. Um, I, I think, but obviously, you can't really do that right. unless you first know who God is and where his place belongs. Yep. And so I, I think that that, wow. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful point. Um I want to ask you this, which is something I typically don't ask before I ask my next question. But do you have anything else seated over there that you have not shared about this that you want to share, <laughs> that you'd like to share, that you feel is worth mentioning? Yeah. Well, um, so I would add this as well. Okay. Um, fruit of the Spirit mm -hmm. is Galatians. Um, some, sometimes we read that. And we, we read it as if it is a set of virtues to aspire towards. Okay. Um, but it's less that than it is Paul's catalog of evidence to demonstrate when the spirit is behind something motivating it or when human nature mm. is behind something and motivating it. And so he says, hey, listen. Just like Jesus said, you're going to know a fruit, a tree by its fruit. Right. And so if you're not quite sure what that is, just see what it produces and that'll tell you. Yep. Um, Paul's doing the same kind of thing and saying, if the spirit is at work, this is what this looks like. It looks like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, hope. If human nature is at work, well, this is what that looks, looks a like. lot worse. Yeah, it's strife, <laughs> it's envy, it's selfishness, it's seditions, it's rioting, right. it's righteousness, it's it's debauchery. It's you know, this is what if you want to know whether the spirit is animating you or a, a situation, look and see what the result of it is. Yeah, um, because the spirit is going to do this kind of stuff, and human nature is going to do that kind of stuff. Well, when Paul lists the things that the Spirit does, the very first thing he lists is love. Yeah. And again, it's not primarily an emotion. It's behavior. Hmm. It's acting in loving ways. And so I would tie that in as well. So like we can, we, we have a, there, there is a, a role for us to play um, in aligning our wills, um, but the strength to do this, the strength to live in this way, yeah. the power to live in this way, 
This is animated by the Spirit. This is what the breath of God is doing in our lives. So when we have this conversation, I'm, I'm listening, I'm like, man, I really need to work on how it is that I'm loving. Um, yes. And the way you do that is to live, walk in step with the Spirit. That's good. Because this is what the Spirit is doing. Right. So this is how Christ lived. Uh, this is how we are empowered to live when we're walking in step with the Spirit. And if you want to know if you are doing that, one of the fruit that gets produced naturally, that's evidence that shows that you are walking in step with the Spirit, mm -hmm. is that you're going to behave in loving ways toward all those in your life yep. and to toward the stranger and even towards the enemy. Right. Because this is what the Spirit does and it's how it empowers us to live wow. uh, as well. That's so good. I, that that. I think you might have upset some people because you eliminate the excuse for people who've like, yeah, I've been working on being patient for the last decade. <laughs> it's not yours to work on. It's, it's the work of the spirit. It's, it's evident in walking in step with the spirit and allowing God's spirit to guide you as a disciple. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. He said it, not me, but I do believe it. I mean, it's right there in the, it's right there in the book. I, that's, that's a very good point to be made. Um, Okay, so I, I, I love all of this that we've talked about. So what it means to love God and how it actually looks to love God is, first of all, putting God at the center, recognizing God is the one on the throne. He's the one worthy. Yep. And as we look at the throne, when we get this value of who we are. As a worshiper. As a worshiper. Mm -hmm. We then see value of others next to us right. who are worshipers. Yeah. And then we go out and we love them and we love everybody else right. in reflection of the one that we have placed on the throne. throne. And in doing those actions, yep. acts of worship, yep. also acts of love, yep. we display that we love the one on the throne. Yep. Yep. Wow. Well said. I just took a few things that I heard and put it all together. I'm glad you joined me for this podcast. Appreciate your contributions. No, that's that that that's so beautiful. I think that I think at least for me, maybe I've been you know, I've been doing it wrong this whole time, but that's transformational in how you approach loving God. Yeah, that you can actually look at yourself and say, you know what, I let my frustration kind of run rampant sometimes. Okay, so. So who's on the throne? <laughs> yes. Who's on the throne? Yes. Yeah. Who is on the throne? That, that, that is so good. Yeah. So why did that frustrate me? Why did that frustrate me? Why did that offend me? Yeah. Why, why are my sensibilities offended by your behavior? Why did I take that as something towards me? I mean, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but who do I think I am? Yeah. Um, so to the degree that I'm having trouble with, um, with the other, it probably indicates, you know, how far I've climbed up on the throne mm -hmm. and made that about me. Right. Uh, but what if it was about, what if I instead had um, the only one who deserves to be in that spot, firmly in that spot, in my own view and estimation, then I might view the offense, even if directed at me, as maybe that isn't about me. Maybe that is about needing to help you see the one on the throne. And what better way can I do that than if I reflect his image back to you yeah. and act in a loving way toward you? Right. So to the extent that um, I made that an offense about me is probably indication that wow. I've climbed partway back up on the throne wow. uh, as if that was my spot, as if that's where I belong. Right. And I, I, I think just to extract one thing that you mentioned just then, I think it's beautiful to see that you have God elevated in a sense on the throne mm -hmm. and the rest of us are just on the same playing field. Yeah. It's just some of us have our eyes fixed yeah. on the throne yeah. and our responsibility is to be like, Hey, yeah. look at the throne. Yeah. Yeah. And we do that through acts of loving people. And that cycles back to how we then display and truly love yeah. the one on the throne. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that was great. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, that, um, 
if only we had some food in front of us, there's no telling what would have happened. It would have been amplified. But no, I, I, I sincerely appreciate your scholarship and your commitment. Um, I think we have some great takeaways from this. One, there's, there's a lot of importance, one, to know who God is. So maybe prayer and Bible reading and devotion become a higher priority on the list if they're not already at the number one spot. And directly tied to that, making sure that we're doing that, not just so that we can be arrogant in our knowledge, but so that we can really know the one who is on the throne. And then as life carries on, we have this constant check of who's on the throne. It's a great, it's a great question. So, so when you finish reading out the Shema, um, the instruction is put those as blinders between your eyes, Mm. write them on your hand, write them on your forehead, write it on the doorpost of your house. So Orthodox Jews today still will have the Tefillim. Mm -hmm. Inside that little box is the scroll that has the Shema and following verses on it. The mezuzah on the doorpost, the little box there on the doorpost, has inside it the scroll of Deuteronomy 6. Because this is something you are to remind yourself of constantly. Go in the house, go out of the house. As blinders between your eyes, Mm -hmm. on your hands for everything that you touch. So what you touch, what you see, and where you go must constantly be informed and reinformed by the fact that there's only one God. Yeah. And he alone is at the center. He alone is worthy of our heart's devotion, our affection, our energy, our strength, our behaviors. Yeah. Um, talk about him to your children. <laughs> When you rise up, when you go down, when you go in the marketplace, when you come back home, this is the the constant theme of your life. It's the first prayer that a Jewish child ever prays. It's the last prayer that a Jewish believer ever prays. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm -hmm. So we can't imagine that we will just have this one conversation and then live the rest of our life as if there's only one on the throne. Sure. Because the default tendency is to enthrone ourselves. Right. And so it's the constant exercise. This is the constant exercise of discipleship to every day and in every way reorient and realign and recalibrate my life around the true center, the one that truly is at the center. Yeah. And I'm not going to get it perfect all the time, but if I have that as the frontlets between my eyes, mm-hmm. if that's what's guiding my vision, if that's what's controlling my actions, if I'm aware of that everywhere I go, if I'm expressing that, then that's going to go a long way toward keeping me oriented properly, yep. keeping God in the spot that only he can occupy and keeping me in my proper place around the periphery, yeah. shoulder to shoulder with you. Yeah. So I think it's a constant, uh, a constant reminder. Sure. It's a constant check. Check the gauges. Yep. <laughs> Who's on the throne? Yep. How many gods are there? Yep. Uh, there can only be one. Right. Uh, who is it? It's not me. It's not me. <laughs> that's right. And that's that is how we love the Lord with yeah. all of our heart, mind, wow. soul, and strength. That's awesome. So incredible. Now we have something whenever we have arguments with our wife, we just, who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? <laughs> if you get an argument with your wife, please do that. And she'll be like, what are you talking about? You're going to get her eyes to turn on the one on the throne. See what I did there? All right. That's, that's wonderful. I, I so appreciate your time and um, your insight on what it is to really love God because I, you changed some things for me, that's for sure. Not that I have it all together, not that I'm the standard by which that should be judged, but I, I do believe that if people listened and heard what was said, um, it's going to cause us to transform the way that we act and behave because who's on the throne? Yeah. Yep. 
That's beautiful. I'm going to have you do this. Um, I'm going to have you close us out in a word of prayer, and then we'll wrap it up. All right. Jesus, thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together and to consider you, who you are, where you belong. So in this moment, Lord, we, we place you right at the center on the throne. We order our lives in light of the vision of the heavenly throne and you on it and us standing in those concentric circles of worshipers that are adoring you as the creator and as the redeemer. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to live our lives ordered that way. Let those be the blinders that or, that set our vision and let that be the principle that ordains our our work and uh, let us have the courage and the faith to live this out, to live in a way that demonstrates that you alone are worthy of all of our devotion, of all of our affection, of all of our energy, of our behaviors that reflect your nature. And I pray that in this way, Lord, that we would love you well, because if we love you well, then the natural outspring from that is that we will love all of those around us well. And may you be glorified by this work that you're doing in our lives as your kingdom is being established, your name glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for that and for everything that you shared today. I truly appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in and for listening, for watching. This is Father in Our Future. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you will join me next time. I want to thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future and for endeavoring to grow as a dad. But I want to ask you to become more than just a subscriber. I want to ask you to consider becoming a supporter of Fathering Our Future. Whether it's a one-time gift today or a monthly commitment, whatever you give, it's not too small. It will contribute to Fathering Our Future, continuing to grow and to expand and to reach dads. All you have to do is go to Fathering Our Future dot com. Click the donate button and give whatever you would like to give. Thank you and God bless.